We're continuing today. This is the fifth Sunday of Easter, and we've been looking at the Holy Gospel according to St. John. I think there are few portions of Scripture that believers treasure more than John's Gospel and, and indeed all of the writings that are associated with the Apostle John. Uh, certainly two reasons come to mind. Uh, on the one hand, John's writings uh, point us in a very uh, engaging and uh, clear way to the love of God. So you think of John's writings, and I think the love of God is one that immediate, uh, one aspect of his writings that immediately come to mind. Not that other biblical writers don't speak of this, but uh, it, it's very close to the surface, and it's something that John just keeps circling back to, both in the Gospels and in uh, his epistles. For example, uh, John 3.16 is probably something that many, many people in our society are aware of. Some may only know the phrase. If they watch pro football, for example, every time there's a, an, an extra point, someone manages to, to get into the stadium and hold up John 3.16 uh, behind the goalposts. Uh, among those who would recognize that as a scripture reference, I'm sure that quite a number of them at least know that it starts out, God so loved the world. God so loved the world, John 3.16. Perhaps not so many could quote 1 John 3.16, which says, in this we know what love is, that Christ laid down his life for us, and that we might also lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Or 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, In this the love of God was manifested, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So John is always circling around these two poles. On the one hand, uh, God's love for the world in sending his Son, and Christ's love for the church in laying down his life for the church. So that's one reason. People are drawn to this gospel because it, it's very, uh, very accessible in the way that it presents God's love. I think also people are drawn to it because it, it also helps us to understand the nature of faith and the nature of discipleship in, in ways that uh, are easy to grasp. So, for example... Uh, the I am passages of John, the first part of John uh, up to the, uh, the night of the Lord's Supper is a collection of signs uh, around which uh, a number of I am sayings gather. And so, so many of these I am sayings uh, relate to our senses or connect us to Christ in relationship to, this, to our, our senses. And so in, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. We are, uh, God's people are hungry people. We are thirsty people. And in Christ, we have, we have found someone who satisfies our hunger and our thirst. Or our text today from John chapter 10 we have the, I am the good shepherd. And as we'll see as we look into the text, the, the good shepherd saying, uh, 
is, deve is developed around uh, hearing and seeing because it's part of a, a greater co uh, conversation uh, following on the, heal the healing of the man born blind. But the good shepherd, the good shepherd engages the sheep with his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they know me. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And, uh, and this good shepherd narrative starts or takes up after a, a controversy with the Pharisees about uh, why they are still blind. They are still blind uh, because they do not listen to the voice of the shepherd. So uh, the, the Gospel of John helps us to uh, lean into faith and the discipleship, as it were, around our senses, those things that uh, are just part of the, the fabric uh, of our, our very lives. People are drawn to this, but there's something about the I am sayings, there's something about this clarity that, that also elicits a, a pushback because the I am sayings are sayings that uh, are meant to be exclusive. The I am's are emphatic. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. Not other people. Not others. I alone. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's an exclusivity about the I am's um, that are that put people in a kind of tension. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus is the good shepherd. Isn't it wonderful? Jesus is the bread of life. But then only Jesus, only Jesus, and, and that pushes back against our uh, sensibilities in that we derive from the culture. Get my clicker to go here. There it is. So as we, we look at the passage, I, I just want to bring to your attention a, a comment that uh, Herman Bavink, who was, Herman Bavink was one of the great uh, reformed theologians of the late 19th and early 20th centuries in the Netherlands. And over uh, the course of several years, he produced four massive uh, tomes, uh, four volume set called Reformed Dogmatics. But Bavink makes this comment that to the regenerate person, Believing in Christ is just as natural as it is for everyone to believe in the world of the senses. And Bavink draws, draws pretty heavily on uh, the writings of the Apostle John in defense of that claim. So that among, the, among those who have come to faith, the exclusive claims of Christ uh, do not put us in a bind. But they are, as, they are as natural, they see, it seems as true and as right to us as our, uh, as our eating and drinking, as our hearing and our seeing. So as we uh, prepare to come to this uh, Holy Supper today on the, the fifth Sunday of Easter, I'd like us to look uh, at John chapter 10 from verses 11 through verse 18. And we'll begin with the first section. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, 
sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. One, one of the hard lessons for ministers to learn, and some of us never really fully learn it, is that uh, no sermon can say everything. And often we try. And by the, by the time we've accomplished that, you know, we've lost everybody that's been trying to, to listen. Uh, and in the same way, no, no particular uh, representation of the gospel in Scripture says everything. The Good Shepherd passage doesn't say everything that needs to be said. We understand this. There are seven I am's, not just one. But each, each of these images is important, and it's enough, uh, it's enough to take them one at a time and to reflect on them and uh, to come back to the others uh, as the Lord gives us opportunity. Uh, and it's also God's gift to us that what is said, for example, under the image of the Good Shepherd is said in other ways in other parts of Scripture. What is said very clearly in John chapter 10 is that Jesus is the good shepherd and he consistently ties this to the fact that he lays down his life or that he puts his life on the line for the sheep. So the passage continues, I am the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father." As I've indicated in the introduction, the, all of John chapter 10, which is about shepherds and sheep and sheep pens, and in the central focus, the good shepherd, is a continuation of a controversy that arises between Jesus and the Pharisees after Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath. I'm trying to think where that came from. But, uh, The man who is, is healed is caught in the middle of a controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the leaders of the people, uh, because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, and a, a righteous man, a godly man, would not heal on the Sabbath, and so since Jesus did this, he must be a sinner, and, and the poor uh, man who was healed the Pharisees come around to him and say, well, what's, what's your take on this? What do you say about him? Uh, you, do you confer, will you confirm with us our judgment that this man is a sinner? And, and we all know what he said. He said, whether the man who healed me is a sinner or not, I don't know. But this I know, once I was blind, 
now I can see. And we, that works its way, of course, into amazing grace. Once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, but now I see, which is, comes to us from John's gospel. Uh, and so this, uh, this fellow whose life has been transformed uh, by the word of Jesus, because up to this point, he's, he's heard Jesus speak. Jesus said, you know, go wash and, and uh, your sight will be restored. So he's heard Jesus speak, and later on Jesus will meet him and uh, call him to faith, and then he will see. This is consistent with the shepherd and the way the shepherd relates to the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and they follow the shepherd. So that with shepherds and sheep, uh, what's decisive, uh, what, whatever visual image that sheep have uh, relative to their shepherds, uh, the suggestion is maybe it's maybe the sheep eyesight is not all that great, or at least sheep eyesight is not what carries the day. They recognize the shepherd's voice, and they follow his voice. So that uh, with the good shepherd, uh, the relationship is established by the voice of the Savior, and this leads to to sight. They, they hear first and then they see so that faith, as it were, precedes this, this greater comprehension. The good shepherd is, is good because he lays down his life. Uh, perhaps more precisely nuanced, he puts his life on the line for the sheep. This phrase, particularly as we're gathered here at the Lord's table, as we think about the, the shepherd putting his life on the line for the sheep, uh, the phrase leads us to reflect on what we know as the substitutionary atonement. He lays down his life for our sins. He offers himself as a sacrifice uh, to remove our guilt, to satisfy divine justice. But in the, in the good shepherd saying in, in the Jesus' words, identifying himself as the good shepherd who puts his life on the line for the sheep, that's not primarily what's in view, though it's uh, entirely appropriate for us to be drawn to that in our reflection on the passage. What's primarily in view is the care that the shepherd has for the sheep. What's primarily in view is that uh, the sheep really matter to the shepherd, unlike the hired hand. You know, the, it's just for the, the hired hand, it's just a job. But the shepherd really cares about the sheep. In fact, the shepherd loves the sheep. John Calvin, in his comment on this passage, says, The shepherd laid down his life, Jesus, that is, laid down his life as the price of satisfaction, shed his blood to cleanse our souls, offered his body as a propitiatory sacrifice to reconcile the Father to us, but Christ does not argue here about the efficacy or benefit of his death, but to prove with what real affection he is moved toward us. So the point of the shepherd puts his life on the line for the sheep is that the, the shepherd loves the sheep. So as we, we gather at the Lord's table and remember his death, let's not simply remember that, that he died for our sins. But let us remember that he is 
infallibly on our side. That he came forth to rescue us from all evil. We say, he laid down his life that I might be set free, as we sang. Or as we sing in the hymn, Come Thou Fount, Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. The death of Christ is, at the heart of the death of Christ, there is this wonderful doctrine of redemption. But redemption is not just a transaction, oh, my, my, the, my debt is paid, now I'm going to heaven when I die, now I'm good. But it is, here is one who loves me, who came forth for me, who is always on my side, who is for me and not against me, and who has pledged to deliver me from all evil. Our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to our faithful Savior who has fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood and has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. So it's not just, this, it's not just the transaction that uh, here are our debts, they're canceled, uh, now we're righteous and, and we're good to go to heaven when we die. It is about a relationship with someone who loves us deeply and puts his, line, his life on the line for us. And it invites us to think about what kind of response should I have for that? How should that change my life and my outlook on life and my understanding of my purpose in life? In the second part of our text, Jesus repeats that he is the good shepherd, but he adds more to help us understand he talks about uh, the, the relationship uh, within which they come to know him. He says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and they know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I, I think this is, uh, in, this is an incredible way to talk about the relationship between sheep and shepherds. Uh, there, there is something quite arresting about uh, a statement that sheep know a shepherd in the same way that the Son of God knows the Father. Uh, sheep do not impress us as, as uh, uh, creatures having great uh, powers of knowledge. And particularly to think about, just to contemplate for a moment, sheep having some uh, intimate knowledge of the life of the shepherd. I mean, do the sheep know about the, the shepherd's family? Do they know how he thinks about what kind of, uh, uh, what, what are his hobbies? What are his interests? What are his dreams? And, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, do, do sheep begin to comprehend the, the grander purposes and, and hopes of, of the shepherd who leads them in and out day by day? I, I suspect on the creaturely level that they know very little. <laughs> they they know the shepherd's voice. And they know that the shepherd is for them. They know that when they are near the shepherd, they're safe. And, and whether, whether real sheep know much more than that, I, I think is highly speculative. But the, the beauty of this passage is that sheep, sheep are raised to a level far beyond what belongs to them and certainly what, uh, what they are entitled to know. Just as the Father knows the Son and the Son knows the Father, 
the, the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know the shepherd. So we are, uh, we are taken to a higher place when we think about this. And it, it actually an, anticipates a move that will be made later on in John chapter 15. This is John 10, five chapters down the road. They're uh, at the Last Supper and Jesus is discoursing about the vine and the branches. But in that setting, he comes to a place uh, where he says, um, I no longer call you friends. I no longer call you friends because, uh, I'm sorry, I no longer call you slaves because the slave doesn't know what the master is doing. Instead, uh, I'm calling you friends because everything, everything that the father has spoken to me, I've made known unto you. And this, of course, is uh, related to the, what, what precedes this, what introduces this saying uh, in John chapter 15 is, no one has greater love than this, than someone should lay down their life. Same phrase, good shepherd lays down his life. The good shepherd lays down his life. You get to John chapter 15, he introduces a section by saying, greater love has no one than this, than, than that someone should lay down the life, their life for their friends. And then he moves on to let them know that he no longer calls them slaves, he calls them friends. So that the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep is ultimately not adequate, given the, the uh, limited capacities of sheep. And it moves to this metaphor of, of the relationship between friends, where friends confide in one another. And it really explains how this comes about, but it in no way diminishes the uh, amazing character of the grace that has been shown to us that we who are like sheep should be uh, lifted up into the knowledge of the everlasting God. Part of our text also actually anticipates or at least reminds us of the Lord's Supper because Jesus says, uh, by the way, I have other sheep who are not from this sheep pen. Uh, I have to bring them in too, referring to the calling in of the Gentiles, the, that we are included in the household of faith and we are engrafted into the household of Israel. In the traditional reformed uh, prayer at the Lord's table, the, uh, the prayer right before the communion, uh, and I will be saying it in a few moments, uh, the, the, the words go, and as this bread has been gathered from, many, from uh, the grain of many fields into one loaf, and as uh, this cup uh, comes from the gathering of many the grapes of many hills into this one cup, may your whole church be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. So even here at the Lord's table, in the prayers that uh, we offer in relationship to this supper, we're reminded that the, the shepherd is at work in the world calling his people to himself. The text closes, of course, with Jesus talking about the Father's love for him. For this reason, the Father loves me, that I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. And the only comment that I'll make on that this morning is that 
that this is a further gift to the disciples and, and also a further challenge to his adversaries, uh, a gift to the disciples letting them know even more of the, 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 the relationship between the Father and the Son. That these, that these mysteries should be made known to us is a wonderful gift. And, and so often we take it for granted. But uh, Jesus says, this is why the Father loves me. This is why the Father loves me because, because I, uh, in the councils of eternity, as it were, really, uh, I have joined with him and I, I have undertaken uh, to, to, show, to, to bring him glory and show my love for him by coming into this world and giving my life over to death that I might get it back from the Father and in this way uh, bring him honor and glory. And ultimately this becomes a pattern for us. Ultimately this is the Christian secret. What is the Christian secret? The one who loses his life will find it. Whatever life we have uh, that God means for us is found, beyond, is found on the other side of our relinquishing this present life to him, uh, repenting of all that would say, I'm going to hang on to this for my own safety and to ensure my own happiness and my, and my own satisfaction, handing that all over to Jesus, handing it all over to the Father that we might receive uh, the life that he has prepared for us uh, in Christ on the other side of repentance. So much here under these, uh, these words, I am the good shepherd, and laying down the life for the sheep. I have, uh, have one other quotation from Herman Bobbink, and I'll close with this. Salvation that is not known and enjoyed is no salvation. God saves by causing himself to be known and enjoyed in Christ. The knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ saves, justifies, and bestows on us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Surely, if the shepherd, if the Lord is our shepherd, above all things, it means that uh, the, the life of the Christian is a life of great joy, that salvation is deeply to be enjoyed, that we should be drawn into the intimate fellowship of the Father and the Son, can, can imply nothing more than joy. And here in the Lord's Supper, there is an anticipation of a banquet, of an eternal uh, communion in the heavenly city where joy will never cease and joy will be made full.